And it's time now for a special moment with our children. So any children here in the sanctuary, I'd love for you to come join me up here. And if you're worshiping at home, just move a little closer to your screens. Big thanks to all of you who sang this morning. So good to hear your voices. Good morning, good morning. What a great group. Thanks for being here today. So, I have some shirts I want to show you that show you some things that I like. So, today, Tennessee's football team, the Tennessee Titans, are playing the Indianapolis Colts. This is our football team here in Nashville. You know the Titans? So when there's a Titans game, I like to put on my Titan shirt and say, Go Titans! And if I see someone who might be wearing an Indianapolis Colts shirt, I might think, Hmm, our team's playing their team. I don't know about them. Then I have another shirt that I wear during basketball season because I went to a school called Duke. And we have a really good basketball team. And our arch rivals are the Carolina Tar Heels. My husband went to Carolina, so he has a Carolina shirt. And when we play each other in basketball, we put on our shirts and I say, you are the enemy, Duke's gonna win, yay. But you know what? There's a shirt that's even more important than any of these. A shirt that reminds me of Jesus and who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. Anybody seen one of these? This is one of our church. Your dad has one of these. Yeah, this is our church t-shirt that says, God, I'm so glad you have one. And it says, God loves everyone unconditionally. So God loves Indianapolis Colts fans and God loves Carolina fans. And the truth is, no matter what shirt anybody's wearing, no matter what team anybody's cheering for, we are all beloved children of God. And every single person is made in God's image, and God loves everyone. So it's fun to cheer for our team, but we can never forget that God loves everybody. Let's pray. Dear God, Help us remember that even though we may be on this team or that team or like this group or that group, that each and every person belongs to you and we should treat every person with kindness and love just as you treat us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for coming up this morning and for paying attention from home. If you are three years old, four years old, or five years old, you can go with Pastor Maggie to Children's Chapel. And if not, you can go back. You're three. Okay, well, there's Pastor Maggie. You can go with her. Okay, if you're four, you can go with Pastor Maggie. Okay, well, both of y'all can go with Pastor Maggie. I wish I was that excited about telling people how old I am. <laughs> so some of you know that last Sunday, a, group, a small group of us from West End flew to Kansas City for a conference at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection. 
When I made my plane reservations a few weeks ago for the 5.25 p.m. flight out of Nashville going to Kansas City, I had no idea that I would be surrounded on the plane with people in red shirts with the number 15 saying Mahomes on the back who were heading back to Kansas City very sad and very upset with Nashville. Halfway through the flight, I thought, I wonder what would happen if I just stood up and said, go Titans! So for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, the Titans whomped the Kansas City Chiefs last Sunday. And it was a bad loss for the Chiefs. But I pondered what that experience was like as I flew on the plane and how just wearing a t-shirt can turn people into opponents. All I have to do is see someone in a red Chiefs t-shirt and I know, oh, that's the other team. Now, I know it's just a game. It's just football, right? It's just football. But it's kind of a metaphor for our world, our society today. And sometimes it's not always in good fun. I don't, I don't want to belabor the point. We all know it. We all experience and see it. The, the deepening polarization in our society between Republican and Democrat, liberal and conservative, in the realm of, of our United Methodist Church, it's the traditionalists and the progressives. And I don't know whether it's social media or the news outlets that we tune into or all of the above, but we just seem to be getting more and more entrenched in our own tribes and more and more quick to condemn, to judge, to, to cancel, to say we don't want to be in relationship with those on the other side. I have to admit, I have noticed some of that within myself. If I find out that someone I grew up with and have been friends with all my life is of a different persuasion than me, or votes for the other team, or, or is on the other side of an issue, I question, do I really know that person? And I think that starts to stew in us, and we begin to wonder, is that person as, as human as I am? Are they as valuable as I am? and the gap grows. Now, I know in my own adult life, this seems to be one of the most polarized moments I can remember. But I know that there have been other moments in history and other places across the world where the tribalism and the hatred has been deep and enemies have been entrenched. There's nothing new under the sun, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said. This is part of our, our brokenness and our human nature, as we have this tendency to, to collect into tribes and to grow further and further apart and to see the other as less and less human. It was true in Jesus' day. As a first century Jew, Jesus lived in a highly charged political environment in a highly charged and conflicted religious environment. First century Palestine was occupied by the Roman army, and there were some who were collaborators with the Romans, the tax collectors like Zacchaeus, for example, or Matthew, one of the 12. On the other side were the zealots who wanted to lead up an armed rebellion against Rome. Simon the Zealot was also one of Jesus' disciples. 
And then in religious circles, you had the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and the Sanhedrin who held the power and ran the temple. You had the Pharisees who were out in the countryside amongst the people teaching in the synagogues. The Sadducees, who seemed to be a, an aristocratic type of group with a very different theology. And these groups were constantly arguing and, and jockeying with one another. And then we see Jesus walking in and amongst this kind of conflict and turmoil and tribalism. And what can we learn from Jesus? As those living in a conflicted and polarized moment in our own culture, what can we learn from how Jesus navigated these sorts of waters? Well, this morning we find him in the temple in chapter 12 of Mark's gospel. Now, if you were with us last week, we left off in chapter 10. Jesus was leaving Jericho and he healed the blind man named Bartimaeus on his way out of Jericho. We've skipped over chapter 11 because much of those readings show up around Holy Week and Easter. And the lectionary jumps us over to chapter 12, where Jesus has entered Jerusalem. The first thing he did when he came into Jerusalem, as soon as the sun rose, was he went into the temple and he started turning over tables. He saw that the leaders of the temple were exploiting the people and using their religious fervor, using their desire to be forgiven and accepted by God as an excuse to make money. And with righteous indignation, he came and turned over the tables. So Jesus was not always gentle, Jesus, meek and mild. He was angry at the injustice and exploitation. And that sort of set him off on the wrong foot with the temple authorities. And so when he went to the temple every day after that, they continued to challenge him, to put people in front of him, to test him, to ask him these hard questions, political questions, religious questions, theological questions. There, was the, there were the scribes and the, the elders of the people, then the Pharisees and the Herodians and then the Sadducees, and they're all coming at Jesus. And he answers them with parables, with questions. And every time he outsmarts them and points to something beyond this conflict that they're trying to force him into. They give him either or questions and he answers in a third way. And during all of this testing and confrontation and trying to put Jesus in a box, there's somebody standing back who's watching. We don't know his name, but we know he's a scribe. So he's dressed like all the other scribes. You might imagine him wearing a shirt that says the scribe tribe. It would be easy to put him in a box, to know exactly what he thinks, to assume that he's against Jesus, that just like the other scribes, he's trying to trap him. And he comes to Jesus and he asks, what is the greatest commandment? Now, the way Mark tells the story, it seems that this scribe is actually asking a curious question. He's asking this question because he has seen how Jesus has responded to all of these other questions. And he really wants to know what Jesus thinks. And you know what Jesus does? He answers the question. He doesn't respond with another question. He doesn't say a parable. He doesn't mistrust this man just because he's a scribe. He hears his question and he answers from his heart. That's a great example for all of us. To receive the other person, though we may think they are on the other team, though everything about them may tell us they're our opponent, 
to make space for them to be who they are and to listen. Jesus listens and he answers the question. The first commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus knows this man is a scribe. He knows the law backwards and forwards, and he takes a commandment from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus, and he pulls them together into what we now call the great commandment. Love God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And the Greek word that Mark uses here is agape. Agape, which is a self-giving kind of love. To love God with agape is to pour out your whole self before God with all that you have and all that you are. God is first. God is one. God is above all. And to love your neighbor with agape. Willingly to put the well-being of your neighbor above your own, above your own preferences, above your own convenience, above your own comfort, even above your own rights, to love a neighbor with agape. Now, this great commandment that Jesus offers us is, this is who we are. As Christians, this is who we are as followers of Jesus. And, and every sermon I preach, every time we gather, everything we do and share with one another ought to be an exploration and a deepening of our commitment to this one commandment, to love. And it's not easy. It is, as I've said before, it is the work of a lifetime. It takes prayer and reading scripture and surrounding ourselves with the teachings and the life of Jesus and gathering together and holding one another accountable and practicing love out in the community. As Michael Williams used to say, making love a policy. We cannot do that overnight. It takes a lifetime of commitment. And I, for one, have a long way to go. Someone sent me an article last week that was published in The Atlantic. I don't remember the title of it, but it was about the, the disintegration of the white evangelical movement. And it's, it points to a lot of struggles in churches everywhere, not just white evangelical churches in particular. But one of the things the author was saying toward the end was that one of the ways that, that we have struggled as the church today is that we are surrounded 24 hours a day, seven days a week with the news, the media outlets. And we go to our homes and we go to our circles and we're, we're shaped and formed by those voices that we hear. Whether we are listening to MSNBC or we're listening to Fox News or we're in certain groups on Facebook and they're reinforcing what we think and what, where we are on certain issues and what we think of other people. And maybe one or two hours a week, we are being shaped by the scriptures, being shaped by the life of Christ. And I confess this for myself. I'm not standing up here as any sort of expert. The time I put into reinforcing my opinions is a lot more time than I allow Jesus to challenge me and shape me 
and fill me. And so the question for us as followers of Jesus is, how can we open ourselves to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, open our lives completely to be shaped by the love of Christ? What do I need to do to make sure that agape is my ethic in life and not my right opinions, not my political party, not my choices on certain issues. We have Jesus before us who had a zealot and a collaborator among the 12 disciples. We are the body of Christ and we have within even this congregation, Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives and all types of people. And here our savior calls us to an ethic of love, to love above all. May the church, may this church, may every church be a laboratory of love, a school of love where we learn and practice and get forgiven and get a new beginning each and every Sunday. May we be those who are shaped by the great commandment so that those who look upon us will say about us what they said 2,000 years ago about those first Christians. Not see how pure they are, see how morally perfect they are, see how strong their opinions are, see how pure their ideology is. No, that's not what they said. They said, look, see how they love one another. Amen.